Well, every blessing to you all and welcome back to my open air pulpit. Lord willing, this will be the final video for now looking at the Trinity concerning God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Ghost and also concerning Son of Man, Son of David, Son of God. Let's start this morning, if we may, in John chapter 1. Look at verse 6 if you will. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And of course John would come in the spirits of Elijah, would even dress like Elijah. And of course Elijah and perhaps Moses is going to be one of the two witnesses found over in the book of Revelation. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. All men, like mankind in general, the Lord Jesus Christ would die for the Jews and also for the Gentiles. There's no such thing as limited atonement in the New Testament. That view, that crude belief came from Augustine and was adopted by Luther, John Calvin and many of the other reformers. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light and if you have a King James Bible light should be with a capital L. That was the true light which lighteth every man, every man that cometh into the world. The Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, verse 3, and without him was not anything made that was made. So God, the Word and the Spirit would create the world system, the stars, the moon, and of course the sun. They would create livestock, vegetation, and eventually mankind. That was the true light, verse 9, in reference to the Word, which lighteth every man without exception that cometh into the world. So if you speak to Calvinists and ask them, did the Lord Jesus Christ die for every man, woman and child without exception? They will say no. They will say that he only died for his elect and only his elect will receive irresistible grace which makes them alive, regenerates them, because only Christ died for the elect. And therefore the rest of the world, as far as the average and honest Calvinist is concerned, is completely without hope. And on top of that, Almighty God doesn't love them and doesn't care for them. And it's worth just making that point. Because as far as I'm concerned, the Lord Jesus Christ died for everyone. I think John 1, uh, John chapter 1 verses 7, 8 and 9 are very clear. 1.3 tells you how he was involved with the creation of everything and of course everyone. The idea that he only died for a group of people, only loves a group of people and hates the vast majority of others sounds more satanic than scriptural. Go to verse 15. John bear witness of him and cried saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me 
is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of course, you are told from Micah chapter 5 how the arrival of the ruler in Israel is from old, from everlasting. One of the greatest Old Testament proof texts to prove that the Word of God is eternal, has no beginning, has no end. And here John the Baptist, a cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ, is very clear in his mind how he that cometh after me is preferred before me. Why is that, John? For he was before me. Before Abraham was, I am. Look at verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Only begotten, monogonis. If you think of the new Bibles, they say God's one and only Son, which doesn't really cut the mustard, because like I've been saying over the last several weeks now, Adam is referred to as the Son of God, and even Israel is referred to as God's firstborn. And also King David would be referred to as the firstborn of God. And of course, you know that David was the youngest of Jesse's many sons. No man, no woman, nobody, period, hath seen God at any time. I guess the angels have probably seen the Father. But here he's speaking about mankind. The only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, of course, begotten in time, not eternity past, which is in the bosom of the Father, picturing intimacy. Later on, the Apostle John would lean on the breast of the Lord Jesus Christ and say to the Lord Jesus Christ, which of the Apostles is about to betray you? There's no such thing as papal infallibility or impeccability. John as, a, uh, John as an Apostle had no idea who was about to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And even Simon Peter, time after time, didn't know what was going on and had to receive more than one briefing. Bosom of the Father, concerning the only begotten Son, he hath declared him. So the Father declares the Son, and the Son declares the Father. Go to verse 34. Verse 34. <clears throat> and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist is no doubt, and as far as I can recall from memory, the first person to affirm the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Later on, Simon Peter would say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But here, it would fall to John the Baptist to affirm the Lord's deity. 45. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So, one more time, son of Joseph links in with son of man, as the son of man. He was able to relate to the poorest Jew, the poorest Gentile. He was able to know what it's like to be hungry, thirsty, tired. He knew what it was like to be in need of physical ailments like a drink or food or sleep. And when the judgment comes around, he will meet Jews, of course, that would reject him. Gentiles that 
would of course reject him and look him straight in the eyes and say, well, I knew what it was like to live a tough life. And I'll say, but Jesus, you never had to work and stress your way through life. You never had to do a 12 hour day. You never had to struggle with this or that. And he will say to them, well, I was a carpenter up until I was called into the ministry at the age of 30. And I had to work very closely with my stepfather and they will be aghast to hear such a thing. And of course, for his uh, Davidic title, being son of David, he can relate to those in the highest realm, whether Jewish or Gentile, and he will meet past kings and queens of England, and they'll say to him, but Jesus, you never knew what it was like to be ruling over a kingdom. It was very difficult, and he may meet uh, previous uh, members of the royal family going back to World War II or George III, going back to the 18th century in America, or the current monarch, and say, well, I was ruling over the new earth for 1,000 years, and I had to deal with a lot of evil, a lot of rebellion, so I know what it's, I know what it's like to be a monarch, I know what it's like to be in charge of a group of people, and they'll be shocked to hear such a statement. And of course, Son of God, the ultimate level of authority, and he will meet people like Muhammad in the judgments, and Buddha, and Confucius, and all of the other uh, people that claimed to be divine, like Father Divine, Mother Shipton, and some of the JW leaders and Mormon leaders, which claimed to be deity and some of the Hindu and uh, Sikh leaders and Taoists and so on and so forth. And they'll say, but Jesus, you don't know what it's like to be a God. It's a, it's a difficult responsibility. It's very tough having to deal with people's needs on a regular basis. And he will say, but I am the son of God. So you can't escape it, can you? If you are a poor Jew or Gentile and you die without Christ, you'll, you will meet him at the judgment. And he will say, well, tell me all about it. Tell me about your struggles. Tell me about what, uh, what it was like trying to make ends meet. Tell me about how difficult it was getting up at four o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning and having to work with your hands, having to build crosses, having to build physical materials. You carpenters, you plumbers, you electricians, tell me about it sometime. And they won't be able to say anything. And as the son of David, he'll meet the Queen of England, the current monarch, Elizabeth I, Charles I, Charles II, Victoria, George V, George VI, and they'll be saying, but Lord, it was such a difficult battle for me, having to govern Britain, or he will speak to Japanese emperors, which will meet him in the judgments, or Spanish monarchs, or Thai monarchs in Thailand, they almost, they almost uh, worship their current monarch. And they'll be absolutely silent. They can't say a word against it. And also that's how it should have been done. And they'll point back to the thousand year reign because the great white throne judgment takes place after the thousand year reign. And they'll watch very carefully like a DVD. And they'll watch a screen like the one I'm currently, currently looking at. And they'll see the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne of David ruling and reigning in a good and godly way 
also upholding righteousness, punishing evildoers. Many monarchs over the years haven't done that. And one more time, he will meet self-appointed religious gurus, men and women, and say, you thought you were a deity, did you? You thought you were children of God or manifestations of the God or God's deity. And of course, Allah means the God. And they will say, well, that's what we thought. And he will say, but look at me, look at how I was on the earth for three and a half years. 49. Nathanael answered, and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Son of God, to affirm his deity. King of Israel, to affirm his Davidic credentials. Jesus answered, and said unto him, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. That calls for the Jews. First of all, they are and were entitled to see signs and wonders. They began with signs and wonders. Exodus chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. They lived, for the most part, by sight. Whereas we live by faith. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Son of Man, 80 times. Son of God, 40 times. And John's Gospel will attempt to harmonize Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And like I said last week, John's Gospel will line up beautifully with the Pauline epistles when it comes to faith alone. Go to chapter 3. Look at verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven, like right now. Now, of course, when he said this, he was physically on the earth. But he was also in heaven simultaneously. And, of course, you can't really understand that. That goes back to what Ephesians chapter 2 says, how we are already ruling and reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ in Christ in the heavenly places. I'm standing here, right here, this morning, February 2019. This is my open-air pulpit. My name is James Battelle. And yet, as a child of God, I'm in heaven right now, with Christ, in Christ, in a way that we don't really understand. I can't explain that to somebody who's not saved, and nor can you. I take it by faith. And here, Son of Man is in heaven, in the present tense, and at the same time, on the earth, speaking to his apostles and co, no man, without exception, hath ascended up to heaven, well, of course, Elijah went up, and so too did Enoch. But they were taken up. They were removed, raptured. The great snatch, as somebody once said. They went up, not via their own power, but by the Lord's. But he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven, meaning, as the Son of Man, Lord of the Temple, Lord of the Sabbath, as a son of man, 
he had the ability to go up to heaven on his own power and to come down from heaven on his own power. John chapter 2, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up in reference to his own deity, of course. 19, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's why people don't get saved. It has nothing to do with limited atonement, irresistible grace, <clears throat> total depravity, perseverance of the saints. Tulip is a man-made doctrine, going back to Augustine, like I say, picked up again by Luther and Calvin, to attempt to understand how the church functions, who God is, what God is, why the vast majority of people in any generation die unsaved. As far as we are concerned, those of us in the UK, we haven't had a revival for probably 200 years. And I've been a Christian for 17 years. And if you were to ask me why the vast majority of my fellow countrymen are not saved, I wouldn't spend five minutes running over to the tulip. These eternal decrees, the Lord's sovereignty, predestination and yes of course the Lord is sovereign don't get me wrong but eternal decrees from eternity past concerning this person or that person or this subject or that subject it isn't scriptural it's not scriptural it came out of the mind of Augustine the same Augustine who said how Mary was the mother of the church do you Calvinists believe that you Calvinists that like to quote Augustine, who was a Roman Catholic, who wouldn't give you Calvinists the time of day. And Martin Luther, probably saved, leaned and leant heavily on Augustine's theology, and so too did John Calvin. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. So that's why people, for the most part, don't get saved. It has nothing to do with the Lord's salvation. He has provided an atonement that is referred to as provision, and he expects mankind to appropriate it, to receive it. If I gave you five pounds, put it into your accounts, and told you that it was five pounds, in your accounts, and I knew that you desperately needed it, and after an hour or two of not withdrawing it, I would think to myself, what is going on? You told me you were in desperate need of five pounds. I have deposited it into your account. Not only have you not got off your backside to go down to your bank and withdraw it, in fact, even that isn't necessary. You can do it online now. You can move money online. Just a couple of clicks via a mouse. Not only have you not even bothered to do that, you're now telling me that you don't need the five pounds. And yet I have put it into your account. I've done all the hard work. I've worked for the money. I put the money into your account. I've transferred it into your account. So now you have to withdraw it. You have to take it out and spend it. You are in desperate need 
of that five pounds and yet you're now of the opinion that perhaps you're not in dire need of it. So you're going to think about it. You're going to take your time to ponder whether or not you really need the five pounds. You're going to perhaps think, can you get some interest on that five pounds? And now you have offended me, which is a picture of salvation. So the Lord provides an atonement, provision, but he expects mankind, Jew or Gentile, he likes every man, every man, every man that cometh into the world. He expects mankind, Jew or Gentile, to appropriate the atonement, to withdraw, if you will, the money in question. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that are wrought in God. So that's why people don't come to the Lord. It's not that the Lord doesn't want them to come. It's not that he hasn't died for them. It's not that he hasn't provided an atonement for them. It's not that he hasn't lit every man that comes into the world. It's not that he wasn't reconciling the world unto himself. It's not that he takes great pleasure in the death of the wicked because he does not. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason why people don't come to the Lord is because they love their sin more than the Saviour. 31. In fact, 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. That is very difficult. Once you get saved, in some ways that's the easy parts of appropriating the atonement. You just reach out and receive it. You withdraw the five pounds from your accounts, if you will. That's easy. That's simple stuff. But once you've done that, once you've got the money, the five pound notes in your hand, once your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, once you are born again, once you've crossed from death unto life, once you've been translated out of the family of Satan and into the family of the Saviour, it gets really tough. It gets really tough and you were told to pick up your cross, you were told to walk the walk, you were told to deny yourself. I watched an interview a couple of years ago, it may have been George Foreman, an American boxer, and he's won many battles over the years, a real boxer, heavyweight champion of the world. And I'm not an expert on boxing, so I may be slightly wrong when I say heavyweights. I think he was, from what I know, of boxing. And he gave an interview about his Christian faith. And don't ask me what church he goes to, I don't know, or if he's a King James man, probably not. But he was saying he's born again, so let's bear with him. And he was saying how difficult it is to be a real man of God. And he, was, you know, he spoke about practicing, getting himself uh, fit for matches, having to eat particularly, a particular way, having to sleep a particular way, you know, several hours every night. He had a, he had a routine. He was in a pattern. He was into a particular mode. He had a structure in place. And he said that was pretty tough. But to be a Christian, to go into a public environment and bow your head before you eat your dinner and people are watching you, that's tough. Or to pull up friends and family when they blaspheme, that's tough. Or to get on your knees and pray 
in the presence of family members. I guess he was referring to maybe children or grandchildren to set a godly example. That's tough. That's tough. The world respect you if you do physical things like smash a guy's face in in a boxing ring and there's blood everywhere. People appreciate that. Or if you cuss people out or if you swear or blaspheme or if you're rude and crude and abrasive, people appreciate that. People pay good money to watch that at the movies or on television. Or if you insult conservative Christians, people like that. They will give you your own TV show, your own radio show. But the moment you stop doing that and you start representing the Lord Jesus Christ, it's tough. He must increase the Messiah, but I must decrease. My days are numbered. Once he arrives, his ministry is going to really take off. I am the warm-up act, if you will. My job is to prepare Israel for their Messiah's arrival. Elsewhere it says, prepare the way of the Lord, the Lord, Jehovah. Make straight his ways. Prepare a highway for our God. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Son of Adam, Son of God. Jesus Christ is related to Adam via Mary. Jesus Christ is related to God as the Son. He that cometh from above is above all, in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He that is of the earth is earthly. Like John the Baptist, who was a physical descendant of Adam, and speaketh of the earth like earthly things, he that cometh from heaven is above all, in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Son of man, son of David, son of God, and like I say, if you fall into one of those three camps, royalty, the highest level from the human standpoint, or an a average man or woman, whether Jew or Gentile, the lowest member of society, or a professing guru, or a professing religious person, if you will, you have something in common, common with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth. And no man receiveth his testimony. Well, of course, some would, but most would not. Most people today will hear the gospel and reject it. But of course, that is on them, not on the Lord. He that hath received his testimony hath set to a seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Holy Ghost, the Father, and the Word all came together, not just to create mankind, the solar systems, the earth, the stars, and the moon, 
but they came together to anoint, to commission, to sustain the Lord Jesus Christ when it came to his physical ministry, because he came to set an example. It wasn't just the miracles. It wasn't just the teachings. He came to set an example. He lived a very simple life, going back to people like Buddha, perhaps, or Confucius, or Muhammad, who had many wives, Father Divine, Mother Shipton, Jeannie Dixon, all of these crazy and eccentric people, devil-possessed people, for the most part, lived and today are still living quite comfortably. There are people around the world who claim to be deity. There's a guy in Russia who claims to be the Son of God. His lifestyle doesn't mirror the Lord Jesus Christ's. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. Again, you can't beat that. You can't match that. Buddha came looking for the light. The Lord Jesus Christ said he was the light of the world. Muhammad was told to repent seven times. On one occasion, the Lord Jesus Christ said to unbelieving and hostile Israel, well, which of you convicteth me of sin? Let's hear it. What can you accuse me of? Pilate said he was innocent. Even Herod and Judas would say he was innocent. Innocent blood. That's what Judas said. Innocent blood. Muhammad wasn't innocent. Cut people's heads off. Took people's wives. Buddha wasn't innocent. Got drunk occasionally. So too did Confucius. I'm not innocent, so nor are you. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Continues to abide on him, continues to build up. If you're an unsaved man or an unsaved woman, and you know about the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got five pounds in your accounts, and it's been there for five or six, seven or eight, nine or ten years, and yet you're still in no rush to go to the bank and withdraw it. It's a picture of contempt. It's a picture of indifference. But again, belief, faith alone, the just shall live on faith, the just shall live by faith. It's all about faith in Christ alone. You can't add to what Christ has done for you. If I gave you a set of keys to the best car in the world or the most ostentatious house in your neighborhood, or if I gave you tickets to watch your favorite football team in the VIP stand, you can't beat that. You can't improve that. And if you tried to improve on that, you'd ruin it. And on top of that, you would offend the person who has given you the keys to the property, to the car, or tickets to your favourite football team. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, everlasting life, but the wrath, the anger of God, abideth on him. Go to chapter 4. 
It's a beautiful day this morning, but it's a bit windy. Almost springtime, but not quite. 4.23. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Don't just follow me. Don't just pretend to love me, to be a follower of me. Aim at the Jews, of course. Historically, God's people. Geographically and uh, physically, descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But for many of them, although they geographically lived in Israel, the promised land, and could trace their links back to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and also back to Adam. For most of them, they weren't real lovers of Jehovah, were more into their customs, their traditions, rules and regulations, had a very high view of themselves, like a lot of religious people today do. And the Lord said, listen, that's not gonna cut the mustard. You've got to move beyond that. Going back to the five pound analogy, don't just keep sitting on your hands and saying that money's there for a rainy day. Maybe, 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 maybe one day, maybe perhaps I might withdraw the five pounds and pay that bill which has to be paid. I've been putting it off, you see, for a long period of time. But when I'm ready, when I'm good and ready, I may pay the bill. But for now, I'm just going to sit back and wait until it suits me. A bit like these people that say, well, when I'm on my deathbed, I might get saved then. I may repent then. And when somebody says that to me, and I've heard that many times over the years, I'm dealing with somebody who has passed the points of no return. You don't play around with salvation. You don't want to mess around when it comes to your gift of everlasting life. You're not promised tomorrow. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirits and in truth. Sincerity. To be saved is very simple. You receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your own saviour. You come to him on his terms, not your own. You reach out to him and you receive him, he's already granted you repentance, he's already given you grace, he's already drawn you unto him, he's already covered your past, present and future sins. It's all about him, not you. He must increase, but I must decrease. Take him by the hand, receive him, and once you are saved, that's the easy part, you start to worship him, kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish from the way. Start to worship him. Start to walk with him. Pick your friends very carefully. It's true, you can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends. Get yourself some good Christian friends, if you know of any. Be very selective as to Christian churches, fellowships, ministries that you associate with. Ask for a statement of faith. You'd be amazed how many people don't have statements of faith. Check them out. Ask them questions. Don't rush into a church or a ministry or a fellowship 
check them out, take your time. But most importantly, worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, sincerity. If you get a chance, study Simeon, Gospel of Luke. Study Anna, Gospel of Luke. Couple of Jewish believers, strictly speaking Old Testament, the Gospels, although found in the New Testaments, are practically speaking Old Testament books dealing with the law. The New Testament, the church age, didn't begin until the death, burial, resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. But check out Anna sometime and Simeon, just a couple of Jews from the Gospel of Luke and see how they went through life. See what you can get from them. Take a chance, if you, you know, if you get a chance, check out Simeon. Going into the temple, they just circumcised, young Jesus, walks up to Mary and Joseph, doesn't care what people think or feel about his love, desire to see the Lord's, uh, the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. He wasn't embarrassed to be associated with this newborn babe. I'm sure some of the priests thought he'd lost the plot. Anna in the temple, day and night, praying, and she was enthralled when she came into contact with the Messiah. 41. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Saviour of the world. Samaritans, simple people, not completely Jewish, in the sense of literal physical descendants of Isaac, a mixed race, a mixed breed, if you will, thought of as inferior, outside of Jewish circles. I guess today we may suggest this, that the Samaritans were like gypsies, travelers. And most people, when they think about gypsies or travelers, don't have a high view of such people. And yet, I know from experience that some gypsies, called travelers as well, uh, are saved. Many travelers in the UK and around the world are born again. I know there are many travelers in uh, Romania that are Christian. I met them many years ago when I was there. And there's also many in Spain. So you've got the Samaritans, simple people, not particularly educated, shunned by jury, mainstream Israel, and for the Messiah to meet the Samaritan woman, going back to son of man, associating with the lowest class of Jew or Gentile to have spent time with her to allow her to see him to converse with him is remarkable five seventeen but Jesus answered them, my, fa my father worketh hitherto, and I work. My father works up until now, and now I'm going to continue the work. Partly picturing the creation. Now, of course, the Trinity, which is the main point of today's video, 
is a New Testament revelation, a New Testament doctrine. It wasn't given to the Jews pre-Matthew's Gospel to know specifically about the Father, the Son, the Spirit. It wasn't a message for the Jews, or the Jews weren't allowed to know about the man, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, until John chapter 1. Behold, the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist, 27 AD, sees the Lord Jesus Christ and says, that's him, the Messiah, Son of God. This is something special for the church. Not for Israel, back in the Old Testament. My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Just to say that was an abomination to the Jews. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. God was his father. The father and I are one. You call me master and lord, and so I am. Unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. And here, the tempo is increasing. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is reaffirming and reiterating his divine credentials. This would have infuriated the Jews, and still does to this day. There are guys on YouTube, <coughs> Jewish gentlemen, that have ministries against not only the Lord Jesus Christ being the Messiah, but against Jews becoming Christians. And some of those videos that they produce are incredibly hostile. And from our position and standpoint, blasphemous as well. 19. Then answered Jesus, and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. What things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. The Son is in the bosom of the Father. It says how God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The Holy Ghost was given to the Son of Man, Son of God, without measure. You talk about claiming divine credentials. You can't beat that. And here the Son is seeing the Father. No man hath seen God at any time, apart from the Son, of course. He sees the Father. There's a picture of intimacy, which we don't really understand, because God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirits and in truth. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. Well, absolutely. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to be nailed to the cross. Pilate is going to mock the Jews. But he's your Messiah, isn't he? He's the King of the Jews, isn't he? And the Jewish leaders are going to be incredulous, offended, humiliated to see this man, this Judean carpenter, dragging across all over Israel and around Jerusalem specifically, and people mocking him 
it could be the Roman soldiers, because he was a son of Israel, a descendant from David, and you would have thought that would break the hearts of some of the Jewish leaders, but it would not. They were too far gone. For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. So the Father would resurrect the dead, quicken them, make them alive, and so too would the Son. Just to publicly say that would have been shocking. But we know who you are. We know Mary. We know Joseph. We know your brothers and sisters. Mary had daughters and sons post the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have grown up with you, Jesus, when you worked with your father, being Joseph, of course, stepfather, but as far as they were aware, his biological father, we used to buy stuff from you. You were the town carpenter, going back to Son of Man, being able to relate to working class people, middle class people, upper class people. Mankind, in a general sense, son of man, like Adam, son of David, like kings and queens, British, Oriental, and elsewhere, but ultimately, as a son of God, in relation to the Father. Adam, of course, had no parents. God was Adam's father. Adam came from the earth. Jesus Christ came from heaven. But of course, Jesus Christ has two natures, two parts to his personage. Human mother, a physical descendant of Adam and David. But Jesus Christ's father, in a literal sense, was God the Father. Whereas Adam was created by not just the Father, but the Word and also the Spirit. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgments unto the Son, that all men should honour the Son, even as they honour the Father. He that honoureth not the Son, honoureth not the Father which hath sent him. In the context aimed at Israel, and he's saying quite simply this, that it's not just enough to say we are descendants of Abraham, they would say elsewhere, we have Abraham as our father. We weren't born of fornication, a spurious and slanderous statement concerning the Saviour's virgin birth, mocked by unbelieving Jews in the first century and continues to be mocked by people around the world today. All men, not just Jews, Gentiles as well, all men, without exception, should honour the Son even as they honour the Father. You can't say, well, I love the Father, but I don't love the Son, aimed, of course, at Israel. This isn't a problem for Gentiles, but for Jews back in the first century. This was a huge issue. He that honoureth not the Son, honoureth not the Father, which hath sent him. You want to know the Father? You need to know the Son. You want to know the Son? You need to know the Father. You can't delineate. You can't get in between 
God the Father and God the Son. <coughs> King David, King Solomon. You can't get between Father and Son. If you attempt to, you'll be accused of being a family breaker. You'll be accused of breaking up a family. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, hath, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Profound words. Even to this day, the idea of somebody doing something for you, for most people, is deeply offensive. I've lost counts as to how many people I've spoken to over the years that don't like the idea of somebody doing something for them. We have a pride problem in the UK. No, not gay pride, excuse the pun. We have a pride problem. And the pride problem in the UK is that I don't want someone to do this for me or do that for me. I'm gonna stand on my own two feet. A lot of people are of that opinion, have that view of themselves, that they can get by on their own and then there's an emergency. A house is burning down or somebody's being assaulted in their home or on the street. And all of a sudden, quick, call for the police, call for the fire service, call for the ambulance, get me to hospital, get me here or get me there. All of a sudden, they want help. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear it shall live. So, two parts to this verse. First and foremost, before you got saved, you were dead, dead in your sins. No, not total depravity. That came from the mind of Augustine who was in love with Mary, the Queen of Heaven, so-called, and would pray to Mary, the so-called Queen of Heaven. You want to follow someone like Augustine, do you? You want to follow someone like uh, Luther, who baptised babies? You want to follow someone like John Calvin, who put a man to death for denying the eternal sonship of Christ? You want to follow those guys, do you? I'm not saying that Calvin wasn't saved. I'm not saying that Augustine or Luther wasn't saved. Although I've got my doubts about Augustine. He was really a Catholic. But when it comes to their walk with the Lord, whether Luther or Calvin, there's a lot to be desired of. But you're spiritually dead before you are saved, but also you're dealing with the literal dead here. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So source of life comes from the Father. Source of life comes from the Holy Ghost. And the source of life, whether physical life or everlasting life, also comes via the Son. So God Almighty will dispense life, everlasting life, first and foremost, via Himself, via the Holy Ghost, and via the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and had given him authority to execute judgment. Why? Because he is the Son of Man. So he will judge, first and foremost. He will give life, in reference to salvation. Because he comes from the Father, in a literal sense, not in a spiritual sense. Adam was created. The Lord Jesus Christ was, of course, begotten. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that to in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And no, you're not saved for being a good man or a good woman. There's no such thing. Once you appropriate the atonement, and here he's speaking to the Jews under the law, the church hasn't yet been born, once you are resurrected, and he's speaking to the Jews, his covenant people, they'll be judged for how they lived after they were forgiven, given everlasting life. And those that weren't believing Jews, didn't follow Jehovah, will be judged for what they didn't do, good and bad. But I think of judgments. I think of the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ concerning the church, the body of Christ. And I think of the Lord Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgments. And I got an idea how that's roughly going to go. But it makes me think of a, uh, of a documentary I watched not very long ago. Please excuse the sniffing. And it was based, or it was a true story about a man in America who had been arrested for the murder of a particular woman and he'd been arrested taken to a police station in America and in the UK when a suspect is arrested for any crime the longest he or she can be held is for four days I'm not sure how it works in America and these two detectives in America arrested this man we'll call him Sam and Sam was put in a tiny box room a tiny cell and these two experienced detectives sat next to him, one on the left, one on the right, and old Sam was right up against the wall, nowhere to go. This is all psychological, you understand. And the officer said to him, well, Sam, we know you are involved in the disappearance of, let's call her Samantha. Can you tell us, Sam, where Samantha is? And this went on for hour after hour after hour after hour, and old Sam couldn't go anywhere. He was forced to stay in this tiny box room with two detectives and a table where the detective was making notes and it was fascinating to watch the body language and throughout this interview which of course was condensed down to just a few moments it was an hour-long documentary Sam wasn't talking Sam was uh, tight-mouthed buttoned it like they say and the detective knew that time was of the essence as far as they knew she could have been she may still have been alive although they were fearing for the worse. He got nearer to Samuel and put his hand on Samuel's right shoulder and he kept it there for 15 minutes. And he got really close to Sam. This is so intense to watch. <clears throat> and he said to Sam, where is Samantha? What have you done with her, Sam? Tell us. Where is Samantha? 
and he starts to fidget, very uncomfortable. And this detective, very calm, no anger, no menace, no uh, tone in his voice to suggest that he's about to assault Sam, continues to keep his hand on Sam's right shoulder. And he says, Sam, we need to know where Samantha is. Her family need closure. How would your mother feel about this? This is all psychological. To keep calling him by his first name and to refer to the victim by her first name and to bring in Sam's mother because most serial killers, if you didn't know, are homosexual and have been raised by single parents like their mothers. And this very skilled detective was able to keep the pressure on Sam and eventually after mentioning his mother several times and Samantha several times Sam cracked he cracked started to cry and the detective kept his hand on his shoulder I mean you couldn't go anywhere a tiny police room and eventually Sam said she's buried gave the location and the officer said thank you for telling us that and they were able to find Samantha and rebury her elsewhere and allow her to have a Christian uh, burial. That's a judgment of some kind. Yes, it's worldly, and yes, it's dealing with a murderer and unsaved people, but the intensity of that was powerful to watch and goes some way, I think, in understanding how the judgment seat is going to go for Christian people, not in reference to our salvation, praise the Lord, but in reference to, but you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you could have done this, and you could have done that, but you didn't. Going back to, well, I was the son of man, and I didn't sin, I didn't lie, I didn't steal. Nobody ever made you lie. Nobody ever made you steal. Nobody ever made you do this or that. And that's going to be pretty difficult to hear, isn't it? At the judgment seat. But you chose to lie. You chose to steal. You chose to do this or that. And he's speaking to saved people. And as a result of what you did, you're going to forfeit some of your crowns. Great white throne judgments, all of the unsaved dead are going to be there and a similar sort of a thing nobody made you commit fornication nobody made you commit adultery nobody made you steal or lie or rob or murder you chose to do so and he would judge people in a way that we don't really understand and yet we do understand 30 i can of mine own self do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Submission. Subordination. I mean, just the thoughts of God Almighty leaving heaven, coming to earth, living with his creation, being born into the human race, living back in the first century, having to get up at five o'clock in the morning, 
to build cabinets, crosses as well. It's been suggested by some historians that Jesus and Joseph even created or even built crosses for the Romans to use. It's possible, it's plausible. And that's a pretty tough life. And seeing people all around you suffering, no hospitals of course, back in the first century, no antibiotics back in the first century. People had a hard life and sometimes would die young. To see all of that as a son of man would have been tough. But on top of that, as the word of God, eternal, the same nature and substance of the Father and the Spirit to come to earth and be living among people, like I say, but also in submission to the Father, like a servant. That's pretty difficult to deny yourself this goes back to eternal sonship. Those that hold to eternal sonship have an awful way, or have, a, have an awful uh, battle on their hands when it comes to trying to understand what that really means. To have Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God, as they believe, eternally begotten, and always in subordination to the Father, almost goes back to the uh, Arian position, how Jesus Christ is inferior to the Father. And some would say he was created, of course he wasn't, he was begotten. The JWs believe he was created, but again he was begotten, not created. But for our brethren that hold to eternal sonship, they have a difficult time trying to understand what that really means, having him forever in submission to his father, whereas those that hold to incarnational sonship, begotten in time, not eternity past, have it a little easier when it comes to the word of God for a period of time, being in submission to his father. 36, but I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the father hath given me to finish the same works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father hath sent me. The Father is a person. He's given masculine singular pronouns. The Son is a person. He's given masculine singular pronouns. Again, this is simple stuff. Those of you which went to Sunday school, you were taught that God is pictured as the Father, Jesus is pictured as the Son, and the Holy Ghost is pictured as the Holy Spirit. And you could understand that, you were able to grasp it. And then over the years, troublemakers have come along with hidden agendas. Some may be devil-possessed, and are now muddying the waters. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. No man hath seen the Father, God, at any time. Go back to the Old Testament. What do they see then? They saw a Christophany. A Christophany of the Lord Jesus Christ. Possibly Genesis 18, Daniel chapter 4, and elsewhere. 
but nobody has yet to see the Father. And on top of that, they haven't even heard his voice. In other words, they're unsaved. Literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but that's not enough. Not enough. And the Jews say this, well, we can trace our lineage right back to Abraham. Well, good for you. And Catholics say we can go right back to Peter. Well, good for you. But how can it help you when you die? How does it help you? How do you benefit from that? Without the new birth. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent him ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me, and ye will not, and ye will not, not cannot, but will not, and ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. So the ball was in the courts of the Jews concerning forgiveness of sins, everlasting life, not being damned at the judgment, but commended, if you will, for appropriating the atonement. The ball is in the court of Gentiles today. That's what they do about the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to chapter 6. Forty-six. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. The Son, as far as I'm aware, is the only person that has seen the Father. Yes, it's possible some of the angels did. It's possible that the angels, and only the angels, have seen Almighty God. That's a very strong possibility, if not a credible suggestion and statement to, to, uh, to make. But he's speaking to mankind, anthropos, that's the Greek word, mankind. Sometimes it's used for a group of people, other times it's used for all of people. And here, no man seen the Father save except he which is of God, of God not just from God, but of God. He hath seen the Father. Two people, Son of God and God the Father. 66. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. A lot of people today are no longer walking with the Lord Jesus Christ concerning their relationship with him concerning sound doctrine a load of people are getting more and more swept up in heretical cults false doctrines doctrines of not only men like man-made doctrines like traditions going back to mark chapter 6 traditions of men but also doctrines of devils Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? You're going to go away too? And he is also speaking to Judas. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, 
to whom shalt we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Lord, Peter would call Jesus Lord, whereas Judas would call him Master. Where shall we go? To whom shall we go? And we believe and assure that thou art the Christ, that thou art Christ, that thou art that Christ, the Son, the Son, the Son of the living God. We have no doubts in our minds that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You've told us that time after time. You've demonstrated that time after time. We've seen that. Our faith is unshakable. And yet, later on, <coughs> When push came to shove, <coughs> Peter would run for the hills, and so too with the other apostles. And we believe and assure that thou art that Christ. Going back to Son of Joseph, John chapter 1, written about in the prophets, Son of Joseph, the Messiah, so on and so forth, Son of the living God. Chapter 7, chapter 7, chapter 7, look at 28. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come myself, but he that sent me is true whom ye know not, but I know him, in an intimate sense, like a man knows a woman, husband knows his wife, a wife knows her husband, and he hath sent me intimacy, and of course in the Godhead there's no sexual intimacy, don't get carried away, but there's a level of intimacy that is almost foreign to most of us living on this side of heaven. 8, 19, then said they unto him, where is thy father? Jesus answered, ye neither know me, nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. Two people, not parts. And here, in a sense, it's like a prophecy against Unitarians, modalists, oneness people, denying basic English grammar, even Greek and Hebrew grammar, because they can't understand it, because they can't grasp it, they kick against it. Twenty-eight. Then to Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Adam, as the Son of God, was given a lot of authority 
was able to see things, was able to enjoy things, was able to partake of some amazing parts and privileges back in the garden. But when push came to shove, he failed terribly. And here, the Lord Jesus Christ is as the Son of Man in submission to the Father is limiting himself. That's what submission, subordination means. And he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you have put the Son of Man on the cross, when you have crucified the Son of Man, you will know that I am He, in reference to the resurrection, of course. But for now, I do nothing of myself. In other words, I'm not here for my own health. What I tell you isn't off my own back. What I'm doing is as a result of the Father inside of me and also the Spirit inside of me. Like three in one, one in three, and the one in the middle died for me. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Can you say that? Concerning your relationship with the Lord? I can't say that. I do always those things that please him. Can you say that? I can't. But he could. He could. Because of course he is God. He's man. The God-man. 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Talk about kicking him below the belt. Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honour my father, and ye do dishonour me. And I'm going to suggest this, that if you're not a Trinitarian, you are dishonouring the father. To suggest that Jesus Christ is a part of the Godhead, to suggest that Jesus Christ is the Father's body, and that the Holy Ghost is the Father's Spirit, is not only a ridiculous belief to adopt, but is lunacy to carve up God into three parts. When you were told time after time how the Spirit of God can be grieved, can be lied to, can be quenched, picturing a person, and yet the Father has never been hungry, thirsty, weary, but Jesus Christ was. They're not the same person. Not the same person. 49. Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honour my Father, and ye do dishonour me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Go to chapter 9. They couldn't understand it. How can God be a man? And what does Numbers say? God is not a man. 
that he should lie, nor the Son of Man, that he should repent. But of course God decided to become a man. Not during the time of Numbers, not during the time of the Old Testament, but during the time of the New Testament, New Covenant, around 3 or 4 BC, 9, 39. And Jesus said, For judgments I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. Obviously a paradox, going back to those that think they know it all, don't know anything, and those that don't know anything will know everything, providing of course they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 10, 17, therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I may, that I might, that I might take it again, demonstrating his deity. No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man. Deity, deity. Elijah went up. Enoch went up, but not based on their own power but based on the power of Almighty God, of course. Father loves me, why? Because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Again, the pronouns are so simple, but you have to close your eyes to miss out on a wonderful New Testament revelation one of the wonderful parts of the New Testament is the Trinity, of course, only alluded to in the Old Testament, but revealed, declared in the New Testament. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down to myself, but I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my father. My father. David had a father called Jesse. Solomon had a father called David. Jesus had a father who of course is God. And here Jesus Christ, the word of God, is going to lay down his life for the sins of the world unlimited atonement, not limited atonement, that's a blasphemy. That's a dangerous belief that God hates most of the world and only loves the elect, a tiny few. The Word of God would volunteer to leave heaven, come to the earth, live with the Jews for the most part, physical descendants of David, physical descendants of Adam, son of man, son of David, he understands what it's like to be in the human race, Son of God, he knows what it's like to be God Almighty. And as a result of being God Almighty, he can judge kings and queens, working class people, middle class people, upper class people. 1125. 
11.25 Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do you believe that? Now for the Old Testament, for the Jews, if they could grasp such a profound statement, they would and could be saved. And for today, if you could or would grasp how Jesus Christ is a resurrection, the resurrection and the life, going back to dispensing life in a physical sense, how he lights every man that comes into the world, and also, also how he gives uh, everlasting life to those that want to receive it. He that believeth in me, no works involved, though he were dead. Now in the, in, in the context, somebody who has already died, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also in reference to your state before you were saved. Before you were saved, you were spiritually dead, yet still you live, but in reference to those that have died with faith in Jesus Christ, will never die. They will never die, they will live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. There is, there is a strong possibility that we may perhaps be the generation that are going to be raptured. And therefore, if that's the case, we will never die. We've already had our spiritual death, burial, and resurrection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6. But for some of us, if this is the generation, if, if, don't quote me, but if we are living, or if we are the generation that is alive to see the rapture, if we are the ones that are going to be, that are going to be raptured, we will never die. We will never die. Believest thou this? Do you believe this, Mary? Do you believe this, Martha? The sisters of Lazarus? Do you believe this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord. I love that. Yea, Lord. I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. John the Baptist believed it. Simon Peter believed it. Martha believed it. But do you believe it? I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Twelve. Twelve. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King, blessed is the King, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. They were ecstatic. They thought at last, Son of David has arrived. And at last, we're going to be ruling ourselves. Autonomy is going to return. We've been living with Herod as our unofficial king and Pilate's as our leader. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king, thy king, your king, thy king, cometh sitting on an ass's colt. Go to First Kings chapter 1. He's never once called the king of the church. He's called the king of the Jews. King of the Jews. 
Israel's everlasting father, Isaiah, chapter 9. And what should have happened concerning the Lord Jesus Christ at this point in his ministry is found over in 1 Kings chapter 1. And in 1 Kings chapter 1, this is what should have happened. 38, so Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benai the son of Joadiah and the Kerizites and the Perizzites went down and caused Solomon, caused Solomon, son of David, caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule, an ass, a donkey, a fowl, or the same animal, or all from the same family, I should say, and brought him to Gion, or Gion, and Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpets, and all the people said, God save King Solomon. Go back to John chapter 12. That's what should have happened. Caiaphas should have come out, anointed Jesus as the king of the Jews, as the son of David. But of course, that's not what happened, is it? We shan't have this man to reign over us. We have only one king, being Caesar. We have one leader, being Herod. And therefore, with the Jews' rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will leave them in spiritual darkness. Forty-four, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me, like the Father. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. This goes back to, so is the Father. Jesus, is Jesus the Father? Or is Jesus the express image of the Godhead bodily? Does Jesus Christ have a physical resemblance? of the Father and of the Spirit? Or is the Father and the Spirit inside of the Lord Jesus Christ? Thirteen Thirty-one. Therefore when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Glorify, glory, honour. Do you honour the Son? If you honour the Son, you honour the Father. If you honour the Father, you honour the Son. If you honour the Father, you glorify the Son. If you glorify the Son, you glorify the Father. You can't separate the Father and the Son. They are one in the sense of unity, not in the sense of singleness. Not one person. There's no such thing as Unitarianism in the New Testament. 
only Trinitarianism. 14. Eight. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. They knew that the Father was a person, and they knew that Jesus was another person. But here, they've heard him speaking about his beloved Father for three and a half years. I guess it's like a man who's married to a woman, and he's always bragging about how wonderful his wife is, or a woman's always bragging about how wonderful her husband is, and eventually, if you're close to such a person, you say, I want to see your husband. I want to meet this wonderful man. Or this wonderful woman that you're always speaking about. We want to meet the person in question. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Do you not know me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, lives inside of me, he doeth the works. So God the Father was in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing the sins to such people, we beseech you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled unto him. The Father is a person inside of the Lord Jesus Christ because the blood of Christ is God's blood. Acts chapter 20. This is a mystery. Jesus Christ had a physical mother, a human mother, but he had a divine father. His father, of course, is God. He was born via the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came upon Mary and she gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ to allow, on the one hand, a link back to Adam, the first man, earthly, and also to link her to Jesus back to David. So he can cover the sins of the Gentiles, if you will, Adam, and the sins of the Jews, being David. And he can do so because he's been sent from his Father in heaven. But to go beyond that and to fall into the blunder how Jesus Christ is God the Father is not only foolishness, but it's folly and very dangerous. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. In other words, if you can't grasp it, there is a problem for you to fully understand how the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Believe the works that I do, like as a starting point. And as you grow in grace, as you develop further into a closer relationship and walk with the Lord, you will understand more concerning the mystery of the Trinity. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I, that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Like, you're going to write the New Testament. You're going to preach, not just to the Jews, 
like I have been doing, but you're going to preach to the Gentiles. And Paul, you're going to speak to kings, rulers and leaders, picturing the parts of the Lord's Davidic ministry. But one day, my apostles, when I'm on the new earth for 1,000 years, I'll be ruling as the son of David in a way that nobody's ever ruled and reigned. So greater in scope, greater in remit. And of course you can't improve on that. You can't improve on writing the New Testament aimed at the apostles, not the church of course, and preaching to VIPs, kings and queens, in reference to the apostles, not the church in general. And charismatics like to read this verse and suggest that they will do greater things somehow than the apostles when the context is clearly, clearly aimed at the apostles. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Going back to George Foreman saying it's not easy being a Christian man in society, and he's absolutely right to bow your head over a meal in public or to set a good example to your children or to stand against wickedness in public places. Not easy, of course. And here, ask anything in my name, I will do it. Aimed at the apostles. Of course, you can take this verse and aim it at the church. You were told if you needed wisdom, pray for it. But many times we don't get it because we ask amiss. If you love me, keep my commandments. Yes, there are commandments in the New Testament, which I won't get into this morning. But of course, you keep the commandments to stay in fellowship with the Lord, to stay on the right track with the Lord, not to be saved and never to stay saved. Sixteen, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you, the Holy Ghost, another comforter. you got two Greek words, alos and hetros. One of the Greek words, I think it's alos for memory, is another of a different kind. And hetros is another of a different kind. And here the Holy Ghost is another of the same kind. In other words, the Holy Ghost is just like Jesus, like deity. Another person, not a part. And Muslims think this is in reference to Muhammad. Would you believe? And therefore to quote this, as Muslims do and say this is in reference to Muhammad, would suggest, if that was correct, and of course it's not correct, but if it was correct, that somehow Muhammad, who married a 12-year-old girl, in fact she was, what, a nine, Aisha, when he first married her, when she was 12, took her virginity, that somehow he could be the Holy Ghost. Does that sound like a good, decent man? Of course not. Did God ever do that in the Old Testament? No, of course not. Jesus Christ wasn't married. Nothing wrong with not being married, of course. But you can't accuse Jesus Christ of sleeping around, having women left, right and centre, 
But people like Muhammad, or Joseph Smith, or Jim Jones had many women. Spirit of truth, Holy Ghost, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, invisible to the human eye, but like God the Father, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, in reference to the apostles, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. In other words, once I've gone back to heaven, I will send him, again, that's the Lord's deity, that's his power. You can't send the Holy Ghost. You can't send Jesus Christ. You can't send God the Father here or there. This is God Almighty we're talking about. But the Lord Jesus Christ can do so because he is God. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And later on in Matthew 28, I'm with you always, like in every possible way, even unto the end of the world. But Jesus Christ is not the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is not God the Holy Ghost. And Jesus Christ is not God the Father. 20. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Picturing unity. Picturing unity. I am a person, you are a person. And if somebody else was here, we'd have three people present. Three separate people. The Father is a person, Jesus Christ is a person, so too is the Holy Ghost. Three separate and divine distinct persons. And that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Unity. Oneness, but not singleness. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him, and will manifest myself unto him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered, and said unto him, If a man will love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, like with my authority, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you, in the context of the Apostles, because later on they're going to write the New Testament, but before they would write the New Testament, they're going to be traveling around Israel, preaching. We call that oral, orally. Jesus said this, Jesus said that, Jesus did this, Jesus did that. And the Holy Ghost is going to be reminding them of what they saw and heard, and later on he would inspire them. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. No prophecy came of old by the will of man. There's no private interpretation of the prophecy of the Lord. It comes from the Holy Ghost, of course. Like all scripture, is God-breathed. Inspired of God. 28. 
Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away, I come again unto you. If ye love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. Well, of course, as the Son of Man, in relation to Adam, yes, Jesus Christ would humble himself, took upon him the form of a servant, emptied himself of his own deity, allowed the Father to work through him, allow the Holy Ghost to work through him, was complete dependence on the Spirit and the Father, but he wasn't the Father and he wasn't the Spirit. So yes, Son of Man, limited, but only for a period of time. 15.8 Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. You can never bear too much fruit, you can never be holy enough, you can never be righteous enough, you can never be good and godly. There's no cap, there's no limits as to how godly you can be, how separated and sanctified you can be. There's no limits, but many times we limit ourselves. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye, in the context of the apostles, but we can save the chaos of the church, bear much fruit, fruit of the Spirit, found over in uh, Galatians, of course. So shall ye be my disciples. 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. There's a sense of elevation, there's a sense of promotion. There's a sense of the Son of God is coming back into his own unique standing and relationship within the Godhead, the Trinity, if you will, for most of the Lord's ministry. Like I say, he would call himself the Son of Man 80 times, whereas the Son of God is only used 40 times. And here he wants to elevate his apostles from servants because that's what Jesus Christ was. He was a servant to friends. And again, picturing how the Lord is going to return to his previous standing, but not quite yet. 19, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And that's why Christians don't get on very well with the world. That's why Christians, not all Christians, but those which are sanctified, and are walking with the Lord, find it so difficult to make friends, to fit in, are frozen out, because there is something inside of you which the world can see, and of course that is the Trinity, and they don't like it. And on top of that, they have no desire for it. So the world would hate Jesus, and they did, and the world would hate the apostles, and they did. All were martyred, apart from John. The world are going to hate you as well if you are saved. 23. He that hateth me hateth my father also. First John says, if you hate uh, or if you reject the son, you are antichrist. Antichrist. Whether it's a Muslim or a Jew. Uh, 26. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the father, I will send unto you from the Father, else with the Father sends a spirit, 
this is no problem for Trinitarianism. They all work together, interchangeably as well. When the Comforter is come, Holy Ghost, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of Truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. He's going to come from the Father. He proceeds. I like that word. He proceeds from the Father. He has the same attributes as the Father. The same substance as the Father. So too would the Word of God, of course. And on top of that, and ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. 16.7 Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. He. Him. He is a person. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father, my Father. And ye see me no more. Three people. Three people. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Another person, being the devil, of course. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Habit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, 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 but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and we will show you things to come. We, he, us, pronouns, people, not parts. He's going to come, and when he comes, he comes in my name, he has my authority. And on top of that, look at verse 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. All that the Father has belongs to me. All things that the Father hath are mine, in reference to Son of God. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. He's going to reveal more truths to you about who I am as the eternal word of God. 26. At that day you shall ask in my name. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me. And I believe that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father. And I'm come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me. 
and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, denoting his unique relationship with the Father, begotten, not created, and am come into the world, his birth obviously. Again, I leave the world when he dies and go to the Father. 17.1 These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. There's our word again, glory, glorify. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, Jew and Gentile, son of David, son of man, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. He will offer everlasting life to everyone, Jew and Gentile, going back to how he likes every man that comes into the world. He will provide an atonement. He will give you five pounds, if you will. But you have to appropriate the atonement. You have to receive, with, withdraw the five pounds for it to be beneficial. Salvation is efficient for everyone, but it's only efficacious for all. So it's efficient for everybody, without exception, but it's only efficient, efficacious for those that receive it, for those that appropriate it. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So he's still referring to himself as a suffering and submissive and subservient subject to the Father, if you will. And Muslims like to quote this to suggest that Jesus Christ is inferior to Almighty God. But of course they completely miss the verses which demonstrate Son of God and Son of Man, like very God and very man. He was begotten in time, and during his time as the only begotten Son of God on the earth, even up until now, he's seated at the right-hand side of his Father. It's a picture of submission to his Father. As of right now, he is our High Priest. That's what Hebrews is mainly about. And during the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's in full control of everyone and everything. And here it's dealing with him as Jesus Christ, which of course is a name and a title. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do, like atonement. The creation of the world, if you will, was part one. But the atonement for the creation of the world was part two. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was, as the eternal word of God. Micah 5, verse 2. He's called the mighty God. Isaiah chapter 9. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. In reference to the apostles, thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. And of course, only they would keep his word, only they were given to him in reference to service. 
not salvation. Nine, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. In reference to the apostles, not the church in general, in reference to the apostles being kept one as a unit, hard times are coming, they're going to be persecuted, eventually tracked down and murdered for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But before all of those things happen, they will preach the gospel in and around Israel. And of course, Paul down the line will come along. They're going to write the New Testament and be the first of the martyrs. So therefore, I pray for them in the context, the 11. I pray not for the world, like the world system, although he died for the world. That's what Matthew 13 is all about. But for them which thou hast given me, in reference to the apostles, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. And I am glorified, I am glorified in them. 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world to search and save those that want to be sought after and saved. You can't force somebody to be saved, of course. But this is the Lord's priestly prayer for the apostles and in a limited sense to the church as well. 19. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified through the truth. In other words, I'm going to set a good example as to how they should live. And he did. And we are to follow the Lord when it comes to how he lived. Nothing wrong with living a way or living a life which mirrors the man Christ Jesus but don't think you will be saved for doing that you do that because you are saved not in order to be saved 20 neither pray I for these alone but for them also which shall believe on me through their word like the church of course those that read what they would write much later on that they all may be one as thou father art in me and I in thee that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me one in union unity essence substance we're not parts we are people we are the body of Christ. And when we all come together, where two or three gather, the Lord is there in the midst of us. Picture of unity. Two or three people, not parts, people denoting unity, like a husband and a wife, going back to how two flesh shall become one. Not one person, but one in the sense of union, purpose not singleness. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one 
as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, complete in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved me, as thou hast loved me. So you can't really miss it, can you? It's a family unit, a husband and a wife, children, a unit. Separate people, separate personalities, but one family, like one surname, denoting a family unit. A group of people, but they all have one thing in common, they have the same surname. The same surname. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Elsewhere they would say, Lord, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Come he sits on your right hand and on your left. And here, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be where I am. Going back to the 24 elders, book of uh, Revelation, and 12 of the 24, I believe are probably in reference to the apostles. Whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world, in reference to the eternal word of God. And I will say this one more time, if you hold to the eternal sonship of Christ, okay, fine. I'm not going to criticize you for it. I'm not going to say that you are wrong to hold to such a belief, but it's now down to you. The emphasis is on you to explain how Christ was begotten, when he was begotten. John 3.18 says how the Son of God was the one that was begotten, not the Son of Man, but the Son of God. You have to explain that to those that are not in your camp. And if you hold to incarnational sonship, fine. That Christ became the Son of God in time. You have to now explain what that really means concerning uh, who he was before he was begotten. And I would suggest he was and has always been the Word of God. 18.4 Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? He knew all things as the Son of God, and yet elsewhere as the Son of Man didn't know the exact hour of the second advent, only the Father did. And the angels, of course, as the Son of God, he knew everything. But again, the four Gospels paint Christ in two lights. Son of Man, going back to Adam, being able to relate to Jew and Gentile, their daily struggles. Son of David, in reference to kings and queens, royalty, the highest level of people, I guess. Prime ministers, obviously. Presidents, obviously. But Son of God, in reference to his, his uh, unique relationship to the Father. So when it says here, whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? When it says that, he knows exactly who they are looking for. But he's asking the question to stop them from 
taken others prisoner. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. Ego imai, I am he. I am that I am. I am he, and of course he is in italics. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. The old traitor, the old deceiver, son of perdition. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward, they went backward. Enemies of the Lord always go backward. And fell to the ground. When you got saved, you went face down. I know I did. You didn't go backwards. Enemies of the Lord go backward. That's what the charismatics do. They go backward. They call that slain in the spirits. It's demonic. Then asked he them again, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, get it right, guys. You're coming for me and only me. Do you understand that? Uh, yes, we understand that. That's what's going on here. You're not coming for the apostles. What they wanted to do, if they had been able to, would be to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ and then arrest all of the apostles. Nip it in the bud, you see. Stop this movement, referred to as Christianity, and Paul says how it was referred to as heresy, a sect, in the book of Acts, nip it in the bud. Stop it from getting off the ground. And therefore, had they been able to, they would have gone after Jesus, the ringleader, as they saw him, put him to death, and also the apostles. So to stop that from happening, he makes it very clear. Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. That's the whole point of this. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me. Have I lost none? Twelve. Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. And led him away to Ananias first. For he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. And he should have ordained. He should have... Uh, crowned Christ as king of the Jews, like Solomon. But of course, this man, Caiaphas, was a traitor, was a sellout, like most church people today. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Counsel. Check out Trent sometime. Nineteen, the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. They're going to interrogate him now. Going back to parts of Christ's uh, nature, not only suffering, but being humiliated. I mean, for mankind to put him on the spot to interrogate him is... Something which I can't think of anybody else ever being put through. Muhammad was never interrogated, like Jesus was. And nor was Confucius or Buddha. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple. 
whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing concerning his doctrine and his disciples. Yes, he would brief the apostles on more uh, sacred subjects, more uh, detailed messages, if you will. He would go into more detail in private. But when it came to general theology, it was only for, or his general, his general uh, messages would be for the world, but personal messages would be given in secret, of course. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me. What I have said unto them, behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? You can't smack God. You can't assault God. God's a spirit. A spirit is invisible to the human eye. But Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the Son of God, with human form, is able to be assaulted. Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why smitest thou me? Listen, mankind hasn't even seen the Father. And I've given you many references today. So if they haven't seen the Father, how can they assault the Father? They can't. But they can assault the Son, because the Son was the one that was sent, and the Son is the one that they are in the presence of. And here the Lord, quite rightly, is responding. He's answering uh, their questions in a limited sense, which of course is a picture of the great white throne judgment when people are going to be able to ask him questions before they go into hell forever. And it'll be same, the same will be true of those of us at the judgment seat of Christ. We can ask him, not that we need to, but if we want to, why we've lost crowns, or we can ask him perhaps why things didn't work out for us the way that we hoped they would. 31. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. He prophesied his own death. He knew what was going on. He wasn't ever taken by surprise. But he allowed himself to be treated uh, pretty uh, violently. He allowed himself to be physically hungry and thirsty. And he allowed himself to be vulnerable. Also going back to how his parents would raise him, of course. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Are you the son of David? And Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Well, of course, he got it from others. Pilate was a Gentile. So, at best, he was related to Christ via Adam, son of man. Not via David, as a son of David. Had Caiaphas been asking these questions, then Caiaphas was related to Jesus via David. Whereas Pilate would be related via Adam. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? 
Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Well, absolutely. In other words, I have to be here. It's my job as the leader of this people, a Gentile by birth. And I'm trying to do the best I can in a very difficult environment. Pilate's a politician. Pilate's in a difficult position. He's between a rock and a hard place. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. But one day it will be, in a physical sense. But for now, going back to around this time, 30 AD, his kingdom is not yet up and running. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Art thou a king then? Are you a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. 38. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Couldn't say that about you or me, but he could say that about the Lord Jesus Christ. 19.1 Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, as a man of course, going back to his humility, his humanity, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Ungodly, unclean, unsaved people, putting their hands on the sinless Son of God, not God the Father, but Son of God, Son of Man, Son of David, Pilate therefore went forth again, and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that, that ye may know that, that ye may know that, I find no faults in him. He can't say that about anybody else. We're all sinful, and yet Jesus Christ was sinless and faultless. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man, Eche homo. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Three times. No fault in him. Innocent man. But Pilate's caught between a rock and a hard place. He's boxed in. There's just no way out for him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God, claiming equality with God, of course. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. He's terrified. He's terrified, Son of God because he is a superstitious Gentile, 
a superstitious pagan. The Romans had many gods. And here, he's in the presence of the God, the one true God, the Son of the one true and eternal God. He's also probably under conviction. And also his wife would say to him, don't get caught up with this guy. I've suffered many bad dreams this night concerning him. Whence art thou? Where are you from, Jesus? Probably puzzled as well, a bit like uh, Herod, who it says would wait a long time to meet Jesus. 19. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Again, almost subconsciously going back to Son of David being King of the Jews. Also from Nazareth, a physical town. 20. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Hebrew, obviously concerning the Jews, like the son of David. Greek, concerning the Gentiles, like Adam, son of man. And Latin, like kings and queens, rulers and leaders, concerning son of God. Then to the chief priests of the Jews, to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. They are, again, being embarrassed by this. They don't want the attention. They want him to go away. 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Going back to his human nature, because again, he's the son of man, the son of God, very God, and also very man. 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. Blood, denoting the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, how we are saved by his precious blood. And of course, water, denoting his first birth. That which is born of the Spirit, is spirit, that which is born of the flesh, is flesh. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And obviously this goes back one more time to substitutionary atonement, a subject I never get tired of preaching about. 29. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And yet he told them time after time, but like most of us, they had short memories. 17. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Hebrews chapter 1, the Father refers to Jesus as God, and here Jesus is referring to the Father as God. Also be aware of this, that up until the arrival of the Messiah, Israel saw God. They saw God as their father in a national sense, like our Father which art in heaven. But now they're going to see him in a personal sense. They're going to relate to him in a more uh, personal manner, going back to worship the Father in spirit and in truth.
23, Whosoever sins you omit, they are omitted unto them. And whosoever sins you attain, they are attained. Going back to how you would do greater things than these. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the prints of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So he wants to see the resurrected and glorified body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He spent three and a half years with the Lord Jesus Christ. 27. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered, and said unto him, My Lord, my Lord, and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed, blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, and that believing, the just shall live by faith, and that by believing ye might have life, everlasting life, through his name, through his name. And that's what this is all about, faith in his name, faith in the blood of Christ. 21, 4. And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. Going back to Israel's everlasting Father. Not God the Father, of course. And he said unto them, Cast the nets on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it, for the multitude of fishes. My God will provide all of your need. And here, time after time, he comes through for his church. It may not be at a time that you want him to come through, but if you are saved, he will always come through for you. He will walk before you. The last thing he would say to Simon Peter is, follow thou me. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. The Son of God followed the Father. The Son of God followed the Spirit. The Spirit and the Father worked in harmony with the Son, an unbreakable union. A relationship that we don't really quite understand but it was revealed to the church it's given to the body of Christ this is sacred stuff this is something which we should all be defending those of us which are saved we don't want to be dismissing the Trinity and becoming modalists or Unitarians or oneness heretics because we can't understand the Trinity we were never told to understand it we were told to believe it so this will be the last video looking at the Trinity, the Blessed Trinity, the Holy Trinity concerning the Father, the Son and the Spirits and also concerning Jesus Christ as a three-part being. This will be video number eight I think and for now this will be the last uh, from the pulpit looking at the Trinity and hope you've been able to follow along. My apologies for the wind if it was too intrusive or 
for sniffing or clearing my throat more than usual but once I arrive at the open air pulpit you know me I have to begin what I have begun and I pray this will be a blessing to you all and this will be my longest video ever from the open air pulpit but it's the most important subject when it comes to who God is what God is and it's imperative to those of us which have teaching ministries to defend this particular subject and I pray it's been a blessing to all of you and I will now sign out and wish you every blessing and happiness in the wonderful name of our great triune God, the Father, the Son and the Spirit. Amen and Amen.